Good morning, church. So today's Bible reading is from Acts chapter 2, starting at verse 1, going to verse 13. And it will be up on the screen behind me. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaisms, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they had had too much wine. And we're going to look at Acts chapter 2. And I was thinking this week um, about some really, the approach of great events. Um, you know, great events that you maybe are anticipating in your life. And I thought of I thought of two. There's a song that we sing to our kids. Our old house had a street full of jacaranda trees. Maybe you know the song. When the bloom of the jacaranda tree is here, Christmas time is near. Oh! Maybe I just made it up. Um, who knows? Thank you, Tyson. Um, the point, see, an illustration works really well when, you, when there's a hook and you know where it's going. And that was a car crash of an illustration because none of you knew the song. Anyway, you know jacaranda trees come around Christmas time. We anticipate the great event. You see the buds and you Christmas time's here, right? That's the, our kids love it. They were down our street and you get purple everywhere in your front yard. Another, another great event I always anticipated, not in a positive way, but in a grumpy way, was the Clipsal and the Tour Down Under. And if you, not so much with COVID, but if you've ever tried to drive through the city for work or uni in, in Mad March, goodness me, you know, you'll never get to work on time, ha ha, is the road sign. I went to Bible College in Unley from north to south 10 years and every March and February I would dread the moment the witches' hats and traffic cones came out because I was like, here we go. And if you go any other direction, everyone else decides to. And it just, you know this great event is coming up and you're anticipating when's the week that I'm going to get stuck in traffic and then all of a sudden it's here. Anticipating great events. What about things further back, not just, you know, post-COVID and everything. But what about in AD 33? You've got 120 followers of Jesus sitting in an upstairs room waiting for Jesus to continue his work on earth through his Holy Spirit. They're all anticipating God's going to show up in some way, right? And like the bloom of the jacaranda tree, like the, the um, driving in the city, you know it's coming, 
you just don't know when, until the buds appear, until the traffic cone's put up and you say, aha, here we go. Until the wind and the fire and the tongues and declaring God in, in all his wonderful glory, until that happens. And the disciples say, yes, Jesus, this is what it's all about. The great event you've anticipated. So let's explore this great event today. What happened and what it means. Because the reason it's so great, and this is the big idea I want us to get out of today, is that, that in Acts 2, 1 to 13, God is greatly equipping his people for life and ministry from the inside out. God is greatly equipping his people for life and ministry from the inside out. And if you're here today and you don't particularly feel very well equipped for anything, let alone declaring Jesus to others, then I pray you'd be refreshed and renewed in that. As we've sung about this morning already, you'd be able to walk out of here and say, ah, I am a spirit-empowered person, even if most weeks and most days I feel pretty average. God still does live in me by his spirit. And that's pretty amazing. And I pray you'd be able to say that as we walk out of here. Because God's interested in you and me filling us with his spirit to declare his wonders to those around us. And how great is that? We'll look at this in three parts uh, and then we'll conclude with uh, two questions I have with what this means for you and me as we go into Monday morning. Firstly, let's look at the day. Um, What day is it? It's Pentecost. The day that they will declare Jesus is Lord. Look at Acts 2 verse 1. It says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were together in one place. We open up Acts 2, we hear about this particular day, and in Acts 1 we know there's 120 of them, all Jesus followers all together, and they're here in one place, together. Gathering as God's people is not new, Um, they were doing it here before the Spirit was given, and ever since Exodus chapter 19, God's people have gathered, right? Which means the church, in the sense of gathering as God's people, isn't really a new thing. It's not born at Pentecost, It's a very old thing, actually, that now takes a new shape and form because God's Spirit's about to arrive. Which means, it would be better to say in Acts 2, the church is the birth of the body of Christ. It's the beginning of God gathering with us and us in Him. Beginning of the disciples declaring with certainty, Jesus is Lord, Jesus has risen. They can only do that when the Spirit of God comes when Jesus sits down with God his Father in heaven and sends the Spirit. And ten days earlier, actually, from this day, Jesus ascended to God. We heard in the kids' talk, up, 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 he went. And he said, in a few days' time, you'll be baptized with the Spirit. And Luke says, they're together on the day of Pentecost. Now, Pentecost comes from Leviticus 23, verse 15 to 17. We never looked at that when we did Leviticus, but it's known as the Feast of Weeks, the Feast of Weeks. And it celebrated the harvest. Uh, On this day, the disciples of Jesus do what they've done every year since they were little kids. Fifty days after Passover, they celebrate Pentecost. And what they would do on this day is take the first cuttings from the field, they'd make it into flour, and they'd offer it to God and say, thank you, thank you for providing for us fruit and grain so we can enjoy um, life as God's people under his loving rule and care. By New Testament times, it was called Pentecost, not the Feast of Weeks, because Pente is the Greek word for 50, 50 days after Passover. Passover is the annual festival, remembering the lamb died instead of them when they got freed from slavery in Egypt. 
So Passover says, thanks for redeeming us, God. And Pentecost says, thanks for providing what we need every day in our lives. Pretty cool. They go together. They celebrate a time of completion of God's faithfulness to his people. God, you give us life, you redeem us, and you save us. That's, that's the idea. And all that Pentecost pointed to, of God providing for them, in AD 33, God fulfilled that. Not in providing them with food and, and grain and everything. But at this Pentecost, this day, God's going to finish his salvation, showing that he's going to provide and give his people all they need for life with him when he sends his spirit upon them. So the day, this is fulfilling what's been written before, continuing God's story of redemption in Jesus. I wonder if you ever witnessed something that you, you, at the time you just didn't, didn't feel the weight of it. Uh, last week we remembered September 11, 9-11, and I remember on that day, what were you doing on that day, but I'm sure you remember it, watching it happen on your TV, and I didn't comprehend it fully. The weight of it, the, the shock, you're kind of just watching it and you go, oh, I, I just don't, I know this is significant, I just can't, I don't feel that at the moment. Or in the birth of Charlotte, our first child, if you're a parent, you know this, the, the, the baby's there and, and she or he is, is one minute old and you, you, the weight of it, you just don't quite understand the significance of it. You, never, you don't feel like you should, it's a weird feeling. Ever, ever felt like that? And I think that's exactly what the disciples felt like at this moment. They just don't quite grasp the significance as it's happening. Because it says, suddenly, in verse 2, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. It's a monumental moment. It got really noisy, actually. It was like a violent wind, like a train, you know, the sound of a train coming, blowing around them, coming from heaven, engulfing the house. The noise was there. It wasn't really a wind. This is a sound like the wind. This was something else going on. It wasn't that they'd left the door open and a big draft came in or anything like that. What else is going on? It's God. Luke is using creation to describe the uncreated God here. And interestingly enough, in the Greek word for spirit and wind is the same. In John's Gospel, there's a verse on the screen, John 3, 8. Jesus says the spirit was like the wind. That is, the wind is a bit of a mystery. You know, it blows where it wants. You can't control it. It can be overwhelming as a storm. It can be as gentle as a breeze on a nice spring afternoon. When you apply that to God's spirit, it's this animating, life-giving force of God. And here, God is approaching them. They can hear God coming into the room, right? Heaven and earth are overlapping. Just as Jesus went up, the spirit is coming down. And they don't just hear wind, but they see, they see what seemed to be as tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Verse 3. The fire brings to mind Moses in the burning bush. Or the pillar of fire that led God's people through the desert in Exodus. The presence of God is not just leading them, but resting and filling them, indwelling each of them. This is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then fire, as John the Baptist once said. It's being baptized into Christ, of him coming into you. That's amazing. 
God is making his home in every single one of them, just as Jesus would say. And this idea of resting, it says, came to rest on them, is the idea of sitting. And it's great. They're sitting in a house, and the image of, is of the Spirit now sitting and taking up residence in each one of them. They are the home of the Holy Spirit of God, the triune God, making his home in people. God has come to live with them. Jesus said, I'll be closer to you if I go away than if I stay. And this is how it happens. Not next to, but in. He's inside them, never intending to withdraw. This is incredible. God is filling him, him, his people with himself, taking up residence, and he's going to use them as his witness, do you see? They're filled so they can then pour out, filled to speak as the Spirit enabled them to with other languages. They were filled with the Spirit, verse 4, and began to speak in other tongues, or as the NIV says, or languages, is a, a suitable translation too, as the Spirit enabled them. And just think, just as God told Moses what to say from the bush, now he lives in the disciples and enables them to speak for him. And what happens? What do they say? What are they declaring? Well, firstly, we read it's, it's, it's a language, tongues. It's a, it's a human language, actually. Verse 11, if you jump down, says the people around them, we hear declaring the wonders of God in our own tongue, in our own language. As they speak, the people hear. You see, at this moment, God gives them the ability to speak other human languages so Peter and the 120 with him can declare the wonders of God, verse 11, in the native language of those around them. Each person listening could hear with clarity, no interpretation needed, the wonder of God in a language that was just like home to them. Just like home. The crowd, in verse 5, it says, Staying in Jerusalem were God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. You've got to get a sense of the scope of this, of how many nations were present at this particular time. The list, you can see a map on the screen in grey, is all the ones represented. This is from modern-day Iran, Iraq, Turkey, Egypt, Italy. And these are Jews who are known as Diaspora Jews means they're born outside of Jerusalem from families that never went back to Jerusalem with Ezra and Nehemiah. They learnt new languages, they made new homes, and they gathered back in Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover and Pentecost. And have you, have you felt that before? Like, have you... We, we did. We went overseas in, in 15 years ago, me and Natasha, and we went to the Philippines in a very remote part. And we went to a market... And, and like a, a, you could hear as, as a pin drop the English being spoken. English wasn't the first language where we were, but suddenly you could hear, I, I know that word. I, I, I hear English. I hear English. It was very noticeable. Then we went to Bali on the way back home, and they speak lots more English there. I didn't notice the English. I noticed the Aussie. In particular, I noticed the Queenslanders. And I don't mean to be derogatory, but you can tell a Queenslander in a crowd of Aussies just like that. And if you're a Queenslander, I don't apologize for that. It's true. Um, and we noticed it. 
It was very, and, and it, it made us smile and laugh every time. Not because I was laughing at them, but there's Australians here. There's people like us. They know us. They know our cultures. They know our idioms. It's great. It was wonderful to hear your own language being spoken. If, if, if you know that feeling, you pay attention to it. Deep in your heart, in your birth country perhaps, with phrases and you get what's happening in words that you relate to because you know what it's like. And these people are hearing the wonders of God in a language, not second language or third, but first. And they're bewildered. Look at verse 6. It says they have no idea what's going on. I'm hearing, you know, Italian from some Galileans in Jerusalem who don't speak Italian. The point is that God's wonders can be translated into every language in all the earth. Alexander the Great attempted to unite languages in the 4th century BC with the Greek language. He had some success, of course. The World Economic Forum did some research a few years back talking about languages today. They took a snapshot. And the three most common languages... Um, spoken by people, not by nations, but in the world, are, and you probably can think through it if I said, what's the three most popular languages? Chinese, Spanish, and English. You can see on the screen there how they've broken it up. The black circles are the three most popular ones. You see, this miracle of tongues in this moment was all about proclaiming the gospel, uniting people to something much greater than a language or a culture. And this idea of first fruits in Pentecost, as the first fruits were gathered and offered to God to say thank you, in Acts 2, the first fruits are the nations beginning to be gathered into the church. And it all begins with God's people right here in Jerusalem that have the history and the prophets and the writings and the promises, the Jewish people. Which means at Pentecost, two things happen. The Spirit is given for providing us to, to further God's mission as his people, and the first fruit are the nations gathering into the body of Christ, forming the new church that God's doing, the new gathering. Spirit-empowered speaking. But not spirit-empowered hearing. Did you get that? They ask each other, what does it mean? In verse 12. Amazed and perplexed, what does this mean? The, the great groundswell of chatter has happened as the Spirit of God's among everyone's listening. And sometimes God creates these moments, doesn't he, of, of confusion or amazement when curiosity is provoked or piqued so that people can declare Jesus. But verse 13 at the end reminds us that not everyone thought it was amazing. They've had too much wine. Some made fun of it, mocking them because they assumed they were just drunk. <laughs> I walked past someone this week who was very intoxicated, actually. I was in near the Alma, wherever that is. And there was some guy that came out, and he was, he, was, he was very, very drunk. And he spoke very good English for being very drunk. And he said hello to me in a few other words, and he kept on going. Um, drunk doesn't mean nonverbal language. But you could tell that he wasn't with it. This is the reminder that some people won't see God at work. Even though the evidence is the same, the conclusion they draw is different. One hears God's mighty wonders being declared, others think you've just had too much to drink. Not only do some people not see or hear God, sometimes there's been a tendency in Acts chapter 2, and all the details here, to, to make this the normative pattern of Christian life. 
to make this the same example that you and me must have too. And I want to address that because I don't think that's the case. I don't think Luke, who the author of Acts was, is setting us a normative pattern here. And the simple question to ask about Acts chapter 2 is that if Pentecost is the expected and normal way that we get the spirit, wind, fire, tongue, speaking other languages, why doesn't Luke give us a consistent same picture of that in the rest of the book? That is, sometimes there's tongues, sometimes there's not. There's no record of a wind again. Sometimes other events happen too that don't happen here, like they prophesy. You see, in Acts, there's lots of conversions. Lots of instances where the Holy Spirit is at work in different ways. And what they have consistently is not tongues, but the call we're going to see next week or the week after to repent and believe and be baptized as a follower of Jesus. None of the other conversion stories in Acts mention a second feeling or experience. The question is never, have you spoken in tongues? Have you had a second or third feeling? It's always repent and believe. We should be filled with the Spirit. That's good, of course. Every Christian, if you are a Christian, has been baptized in the Holy Spirit into Jesus. Yes. Ephesians 5 says, go on being filled in the Spirit. Yes, live a Spirit-filled life. Yes, 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 yes. But maybe what Luke's showing us is that the point isn't tongues or fire or wind here. Maybe, about, maybe it's all about what it's pointing to, what the Spirit wants to show and declare to us. Maybe Acts as a writing and, and the Spirit as a witness is actually all about Jesus and declaring Him. And maybe such a great sign is to show that it's a work of God. And every time the Spirit comes to a new group of people, a consistent pattern is breaking down cultural, racial, demographic barriers so people can hear and repent and believe and be baptized in the name of Jesus. Which means the most amazing verse in Acts chapter 2, verse 1 to 13, is verse 11. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. I think the question we have to ask from this today is, can I hear the wonders of God today? Because you can, in English, as we read and listen to God's very written word. William Tyndale, I quoted him at the start, but fitting to quote him here, translated one of the first English Bibles. And he said, I perceived that it was impossible to establish lay people in the truth except that if scriptures were laid plainly before their eyes in a mother tongue. Yes, God's word is perplexing. God's word is amazing. God's word is confusing. But what does it all mean? Can you hear it? God is still a speaking God, telling us of his wonders. We can hear today that Jesus is Lord God is wonderful. You can become like these people, safe, secure, celebrating Jesus and rejoicing that your life matters for more than just here and now. It means the same Spirit of God is ready and willing to live and make his home in all of us who believe at conversion through faith and repentance in the name of Jesus. And that's for all people of all nations for all time. Even in suburban Golden Grove at 9.56 a.m which means Acts 2 showing us that God's equipping his people for life and ministry from the inside out. Through his spirit to declare the wonders of God to all people, from his spirit who fills and empowers them for that task. 
How can you be equipped for life and ministry? Same way, by the Holy Spirit of God. And here's where I want to land the plane today. Matthew Henry, who wrote a commentary on the Bible many years ago, which is really helpful to read, he said on this verse, the Holy Spirit comes to dignify and distinguish these men as messengers from heaven. And just like Moses at the bush, it's also that others will turn and see this great sight. To fulfill the words of Jesus to make disciples, it's necessary for God's Holy Spirit to dwell with his people. Pentecost, God says, uh, it shows us Jesus is who he said he was, God. It shows us Jesus can be trusted for what he said, promised divine power would come upon his followers and it's happened. And we see that God really does want to enlarge his kingdom. Which means you can be certain of three things. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless you're born of the Spirit. God's Holy Spirit is active in drawing people to Jesus. And God's Spirit equips us. So we should have great confidence from these 13 verses as we share our faith with others. Being clothed with power from on high to testify to the risen Jesus, enabled by the spilling of his Spirit. And it happens just like verse 11 says, declaring the wonders of God. I think more often sharing our faith is just sharing how wonderful God is than what we give credit for. Many years ago, I was in a coffee shop with a friend of mine called Nick. Maybe I've told this story before, but we were sitting having coffee and a friend of his walked up who doesn't know Jesus and they got talking and their introductions and Nick said, I remember this because he just dropped it in normal conversation. He said, oh, I was praying to God this morning about this, that and the other and, and then he went on and kept talking about something else and the friend of his, who's not a Christian, said, Nick, you, you puzzle me, you, you confuse me because you talk about Jesus like he's a real person, like you can just talk to God. And Nick just said, well, of course I can. I do it every day. You know, I love praying to God. And he kind of moved on. He just dropped it in the conversation. And all he did was declare how wonderful God was and keep going. And the, the, the bewilderment was there. And because God equips us for this, I saw in that moment the Spirit at work, not in some dramatic sign, just in the simple conversation of words declaring God's wonder. Which means you're a supernaturally filled person. You may not feel super. I didn't. Most of the week, I was miserably sick and grumpy and, and I did not feel anywhere empowered by God's Spirit at all. But I'm the home of the Spirit of God and so are you. And the Spirit enables me to hear the wonders of God in English, in my language. The Spirit says to me, to us, if you're a sinner, there is a Saviour. If you're weary, there is a burden lifter. If you're tired, Jesus can give you rest. If you're stressed out, you can know the crucified and risen one who's on your side. And by the Spirit of God, you can declare that to others as well. So they can turn and see the greatest sight in all the world, Jesus, who was dead and came alive. Can you hear that? The invitation to come to God this morning through the risen Jesus Christ as his spirit's at work. And some of you have never done that, I'm sure. And it sounds perplexing and amazing and confusing and wonderful all at once. And that's the gospel. The beautiful news of Jesus. And some of you have had weeks that have been stressed out to the max. And you need to hear that again and come back to Jesus as a parent, as a friend as a son, as a daughter, as someone whose spirit lives in you already.
So why not come to Jesus today? And then why not come to him tomorrow morning as well? To hear the wonder of God all over again as you start your day and your week. And here's where I'll leave it. Two questions I said at the end. Am I aware, this is for you to ask yourself, am I aware of the Holy Spirit living within me? Open God's word tomorrow and ask that. Spirit, help me to hear your wonders. Let me hear the wonderful nature of God once more in his gospel. And then, ask God to help you declare his wonders to others as well. Am I trusting the Spirit to lead me to be a witness for Jesus? Two good questions to ask. We're going to sing, as we, can close, as we close, a song called Who You Say I Am. And in that, the line says, His grace runs deep. While I was a slave to sin, Jesus died for me. And this is the wonderful, wonderful thing of God that we can hear as the gospel. So let's stand now and declare that to one another, to God, that his grace runs deep to us in Jesus. However deep you feel you've gone, his grace goes deeper still. And that you will be amazed at the wonder of our God this morning as well.